A warning to our listeners, this episode contains references to sexual behaviour and offensive conduct. Hello and welcome to the Why Work podcast series. You are listening to Trace Vitkovsky, Sarah Pazell and Alan Girl. I want to talk about some cases involving prostitutes and brothels. Okay. Now, um, we're not going to be talking about the morality of prostitution. We're talking about situations where people who have worked in brothels have gone to the courts and said that they've been treated unfairly and they're looking to uh, get a solution in the courts. So in many respects, it's just like any other employment law case or industrial case, but we've got this backdrop which is an interesting backdrop. It's yeah, an and, interesting backdrop. And indeed, and interesting to say morality, and it shouldn't be about morality because we are all equal before the law and each case should be forensically considered based on the facts and on the merits. And it's interesting that uh, there's always some hesitation around conversations, but ultimately, I presume you're going to be talking about a factual case work-based scenario. Yeah, and I don't want to get into the discussion about uh, ad advocating whether or not prostitution be legal or illegal. No. So we won't go there. No, no, no that's, but, that's a morality uh, issue. We're not here for that. For Trage, Trage, I'm going to take you to the oldest brothel in Australia, the Cuesta Casa. Cuesta Casa. Yes. Which state? Where are we? The uh, Casa in Western Australia. WA. Radio. See, it's a, a, I'm surprised it's called a bordello or something, but a Casa. A, a Casa is more comfortable. A bordello. That's right. It's unusually a Spanish, but, Spanish yeah, language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casa. Yeah, well, it's a... Um, or maybe it was trademarked or something so else. So Casa, you know. I can't, uh, you know, I can't say it's a it's a palatial place. I can't say that it looks like a heritage building. It really looks like a set of car parks. Side I by side. Quest, Quest, was it Cuesta? Cuesta. Q-U-E-S-T-A-C-A-S-A. I grew up. I grew up in in uh, Arizona and New Mexico as a child, yeah. and it was always mi casa es su casa. Mi casa My casa. house is your house. Exactly. Oh, that's obviously what it is. There well, you are. You knew that, that expression. We knew that expression. So how do you me say casa su casa? Mi casa es su casa. Casa es su casa. Oh, okay. Mi casa es su casa. Here we go. All right. So, Amigo. Um, as, and uh, and uh, Cuesta is female. Oh. The okay. female house. Thank you. I just thought house I, couldn't, house. I couldn't move beyond until we, we translated that. So, all right. We have put context and meaning into all, all right. Seeking. So, you know, what you seek, what you look for, quest, your quest. Yeah, hence the quest. Whether it was Kesta or Cuesta, I wasn't sure with your pronunciation, Alan. I'm no. seeking home. Cuesta Casa. This is the home that I seek. All right, so let's take it to Kalgoorlie in Western Australia. All right. And uh, at that Kesta point... Kesta Casa. At that point in time, uh, running a brothel was illegal, and this was an illegal brothel. Um, and uh, what had happened was the... Uh, brothel had entered into arrangement with the police and what they called a containment policy. So, so long as the brothel didn't upset the neighbours, the police left them alone. And part of that was don't drink and don't be rowdy late at night and don't have any um, dramas, of course. Now, 
we, we see this a lot in the law where um, the, the Cuesta Casa had tried to set up a legal structure that was too clever for its own good. And what they had done was that the, um, the owner of the premises, who was known or is described in the court case as Carmel, Carmel had said that the business arrangement was that she was renting rooms. So she said she wasn't running a brothel. What she was doing is she was renting rooms to independent business people, uh, tenants, and she called herself the landlady. Sometimes hairdressers own a business and they rent out the chairs so that independent hairdressers yeah. operate under that chair, right? Well, closer to home, uh, well, I was just thinking about the Cougar Town decision. It's not too dissimilar. No, Cougar, the Cougar Town decision is very similar. And there uh, uh, in Cougar Town, uh, they discovered, they described the workers as entertainers. So that was their occupation. I meant in the contractual uh, in, relationship and arrangement. And in the contractual arrangement, yes. yes, it was very similar as well, renting out rooms. Okay, Alan, so tell us, so, so and, what's happened here? So in um, the name of the case is Philippa and Carmel, Philippa being uh, the pseudonym for uh, the uh, working girl, who I'll call a tenant because that's what she was supposed to be, and Carmel, the name for the madam of the establishment or owner of the establishment, who liked to be called the landlady. And what what you often see with these innovative business structures is they just haven't wrapped the documentation around it. Alan, um, can I just ask, was the working girl, was the term used in the court? Uh, uh, it was. Yes. It was. Thank working you. girl was used in the court. There was, so there was no documentation and there was... There was a lot of evidence about how the landlady had a lot of control over the behaviour of the working girls. So, for example, um, there was a, a reception area where customers would come. They would meet with the landlady. She would organise for them to go to a room with one of the girls. She would collect the money and she would set the price. And then off they'd go. And then if there was any sort of problem that arose out of the... Um, the business that was being transacted, then she would resolve the problem. It sounds more like subcontracting as opposed it, it to... It did a bit. And... Uh, room space. Yeah, and there was a big argument in this case about whether or not it was subcontracting. And one of the arguments put by the madam or the landlady, as she preferred to be known, was that um, she had no control over what happened in the room. So when the customer went into the room with one of the tenants, they could do whatever they wanted. That was none of her business. And that she, her part of her argument was that the uh, the working girls uh, were highly skilled um, subcontractors. And so they should be recognised as subcontractors because of that skill aspect. It's a, it's a fantastic judgment and it's a, it's a very long judgment, but it gives a very detailed analysis. Um, now, there was a problem with this type of business, which was acknowledged by the courts, which is the tenants would often drink alcohol and some of them took drugs. And the explanation given for that by one of the witnesses was and I'm quoting from the case, you cannot take your clothes off in front of a guy and pretend you're all lovey-dovey without a drink. And the importance of that is this is a workplace where drinking was considered to have some level of normality. And, and again, I'm not going into the morality of it. It's, it's really quite confronting to know that 
these girls felt they had to drink or take drugs to do their job. But numb themselves. To numb themselves, yeah. Um, but the important from a legal perspective was that there was some normality in drinking alcohol. But So as far as the, um, the Philippa is concerned, it's a landlord-tenant relationship. Well, that's what, that's what the, the landlady wanted everyone to believe. Okay. And then okay. some difficulties developed. Philippa... Um, she was a good worker. She worked um, surprisingly long hours. I think she worked about 10 hours a day, at least five days a week, sometimes more. And um, she, and, and I'm not making this up, this is in the case, she developed a bad back. But anyway, don't, the, don't ask us to do a manual task risk assessment here, okay? Just shut around. I need to look. I'm shocked. <laughs> okay. She's shocked. Shock. Sorry, Trash. I'm so sorry. He didn't well, expect that one. Well, it gets better, one. Trash, because the, the back injury was so bad she had to take six weeks off. Six uh, weeks off six for back injury. Yeah. Okay. Now, over those six weeks... I'm still trying to... Where do you find these she was, But the she man was, doesn't know what happened in that room and wouldn't have any way to control that work, according to the landlady. No, but whatever went on in that room, it resulted in a six-week injury. Right. Okay. So now, we've heard about it, light... It could be cumulative injury. It could be sustained... We've heard about lights being pulled out of the bedheads. Mm. Well, actually, we're on the topic. I don't even know why... It could I'm, be RSI. I don't know why I'm acting all... Coy, I don't know why I'm getting all a bit... Um, first of all, where do you find these cases? That's something I'll have to unpack tonight. But uh, but secondly, uh, the fact that I'm even oh, really um, trying to unpack this case, I shouldn't be shocked because in the last season we talked about the, the public servant and the motel case. So why am I getting all... Why am I blushing? And I here's somebody doing this as full-time living, yeah, right? I shouldn't have to be because, Alan, you're presenting a case on based on facts... We have, it's nothing to do with morality. The mechanism of injury and the modus operandi shouldn't come into it, yet I'm still sort of mentally squirming a you bit. You can't and help but think now, about mechanism of injury and, in and any I, of I these should, cases. I, I, shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be shocked because here is a person who wants her day in court. Yep. So he, here you go. Here's another quote out of the case. The work that Philippa did was largely unsupervised, as you would expect, uh, up until, well, up sorry, up to the dis- the discretion of herself and the individual client, individualistic and subject to her own skills. Now, in a normal workplace, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't allow. It's called autonomy to, and independence, Alan. I think, which yeah. is consistent with subcontracting, but not consistent with employment. Oh, if you if you don't have a, a micromanaging boss uh, or a micro, yeah, like a controlling boss, you're given it. Particularly the, the more you know, you you move up the the work food chain. You give a lot more independence and autonomy to make decisions. Situational leadership. That's Situational right. Situational leadership. Yep. If we're <laughs> going to use that exactly, so oh, I'm not sure. Well, it, it gets a bit more blurred because Carmel uh, or the landlady uh, did some things that were good. She, well, depending upon your perspective, so she paid. So Carmel's the landlord, landlady, land, land person. person. Yep. Carmel's the land person. She owned the business. She owned the business. And she would collect rent. She would. She would. That was her argument. Was yes. that she was renting the rooms? Of course. But she deducted tax and paid tax for oh, workers. Oh, uh-uh. there we go. Messy employment law issue depending, now. Yeah. Well, it's not consistent with a subcontractor nope. arrangement or a rental arrangement. Or rental. No. And then she did something which was sort of a silly halfway point. She paid. Um, she took deductions out of uh, the payment and sent it off on a superannuation scheme for oh. the workers, but didn't make an employer's contribution to the superannuation scheme. So she sort of went halfway. She yeah. didn't go all the way. Yeah. Did she also pay for materials and 
other like uniforms accoutrements the yeah. case <laughs> doesn't go into that I'm just yeah, going through the, the list that's, that's yeah, yeah, a yeah, good yeah. question because yeah supplies, that, that was a problem in the case reckon, yeah if, if we were going to the level of taxation and superannuation probably would also be pick up supplies uniforms now, when when, um, when Philippa heard her back, she had six weeks off and she got free accommodation and meals, but she didn't get paid a salary over that period of time. So, so once again, the, she's gone halfway, but at not the, brothel. the full way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got the impression it was at the brothel, but I'm, I'm not 100% okay. sure but on that one. Injured her back, time off, work, and she's convalescing. Yes. Okay. Now, uh, um some tension started to develop between them and uh, Philippa thought that Carmel wasn't making full contributions to superannuation. Things got messy. She ended up uh, drinking too much and uh, Philippa made a scene. Then there was a second occasion, she was warned, there was a second occasion where she made a scene and she was summar- summarily dismissed. Now, that was looked at closely in the in the. Can't she be dismissed and, if she's... And that's if she, the thing. You use the word, yes. Yeah, dismissed. dismissed. Yeah. Sarah asks, can she be dismissed? The word is dismissed. Not as a contractor. Right. No, you terminate the contract. Yep. That's or you end the lease agreement, depending on what the terms of the yeah, lease are, and you give notice to terminate the, terminate lease. the yeah. lease, but you don't yeah. terminate. dismiss someone if they're not your employee. Yeah, so the way the judgment went Messy. was the, the judge... Who, who wrote a, a wonderful judgment. The, the way the judgment went was the judge determined that this was an employment relationship. It yeah. wasn't a leasing arrangement. Go. It wasn't a subcontractor. It was an employment. And because it was an employment relationship and because alcohol was tolerated um, as a normal thing amongst the employees, uh, that uh, it was inappropriate to summarily dismiss. She should have followed a process of warning, allowing Philippa to respond uh, to allegations and, and commented that had she responded, there probably would have been a different outcome. And just to be clear, there is no workers' compensation consideration in any of this case, unlike the Cougar Town decision? Uh, that doesn't come up, but that no. m- might have been the driver. You know, I have to acknowledge, one of the things that's very strange about this case is at the end of the case, Judge Ritter awarded six week, sorry, eight weeks salary, which amounted to $4,300. So... It, just a, from a practical perspective, it's not really worthwhile going to court for four thousand three hundred dollars. So, uh, oh, so it's eight. So it's only four thousand over eight weeks. Correct. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. Sorry. Okay. No, no, okay. only four thousand three hundred dollars over eight mm. weeks. Mm. Yeah. So that 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 was quite interesting. Case runs. Philippa was a hard worker. So oh. you know. Trey, you've just asked about risk assessment in sport. Now, is this a requirement here in this setting? I think that, you, yeah, when you're, when you're looking at any business, doesn't matter what the business is, you have to start with those basic principles of are we going to have employees, are we going to have subcontractors? And if you're going to go down the path of subcontractors, sorry, contractors, then you, you really have to do it properly. You're really you know, it's not as immoral or taboo. I recall a draft and I'll, maybe I'll Google it, maybe someone can find it for us. I have seen and I've read, but I can't remember it too well now, a draft code of conduct for broth of licensed brothel workers and for prostitution. And obviously never made the light of day, but somebody had put that together. And I saw it in the bin or about to be sort of folded. Mm. And I'm thinking, this is curious. So someone has turned their minds to this. And this is, I imagine, in Queensland was during the uh, legislating of licensed Trade. venues. Trade did 
did you fish a document out of the bin that was about prostitutes? No, no, but, but it, it wasn't it in been, the shredder. It was free. It was in the shredder. It was yeah. not in the shredder yeah. yet. Yeah, so yeah. He, yeah. I remember rummaging through bins. He fished it out. Look, I'm not. You know, I'm not looking for the latest news story. No, I'm not going to repeat it. It was stuck in the photocopy. Yeah. Stuck in the photocopy. Yeah. But I do remember it. The first thing I thought in my mind was that's fascinating. But actually, the first thing I thought was how. And getting back to your point, Sarah, how on earth are you going to do a risk assessment for this? Right. That was my first. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't yeah. think it would be that hard, would it? If well, you're, I get yeah, it. You, you, you actually, would, it wouldn't be that hard. Well, you'd have to do the same thing for a gymnast. You know, you, you, there's a there's a there's a real chance of physical injury, and you've got to have limits upon what can be done. Yep. Sanitation, um, hygiene, you'd have health. Yeah, um, a, a safe no. um, a safe word. So you've got your whole you've got buttons, etc. So now you could you could easily do a risk assessment. We talked before easily. about a friend who is a a stunt person coordinates the stunts on movie scenes, but mm. and and this person is known in industry because they have very good risk management practices. Yeah. But I say this: the movie industry has not demanded this of him. He's simply taken it upon himself, having previously been an arborist. You know, climbing trees and culling trees and whatnot. And so mm. to try and do that, the movie industry is not demanding it, but it is another mm. workplace. And we're mm. seeing this with the Alec Baldwin case, for example. Uh, you know, yeah. what risk assessments are undertaken and what are the critical high-consequence material unwanted events? I, In this case, this is a, a manual yeah. task risk. This woman's mm. presenting but with a musculoskeletal what? disorder. It's the theme. We're getting back to now sociology. Mm. It's just too hard to unpack. We talked about sport before. Sociologically, that's vexed. This issue, vexed. People just like and to... movies don't mess with movies. We movies. want. We... Messy too. It's complicated. It's like, yeah. Oh, well, they're doing movies. Have you read the credits? That they're getting longer and longer. Yeah, 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 I just remember Gaffer Boy. What, what was the Gaffer person? Now you go on with different types of plasterers for different types of sets. So it's complicated. No matter what, underpinning this, you're talking about the governance of an organization, yeah. right? This is what I'm hearing you say is who are the people making the big decisions and are they the right people to make those decisions? And then you're going through that list of what are the relationships and who's ex- who's who's designing that work, who's executing, who's implementing that work. And is there good communication systems? Are there policies, practices, you know, are there statements around this? What are their values, beliefs, and ethos? So mm-hmm. how are they adhering to that? And, you know, who's responsible for decision-making, communication, monitoring? At what point is there a stopgap and are things coming back to report this? You know? and, and I think and, there's a really healthy discussion to be had in any business about where are we going with this business? What are we wanting to achieve? That's right. Are we um, all working toward the same objective? And what are the standards that we accept? What are yeah. what's unacceptable? Mm. What what are the relationships? What are the boundaries of those relationships? What are the responsibilities within these relationships? And then how do we get there? Yeah. How do we get there? And how do we continue to monitor things when performance yeah. is either drifting from what's expected? How do we know what success looks like? These are we just com- waiting for something to trip up? There, yeah, but these are uncomfortable. Topics. These are uncomfortable. In these settings, but, you that's know, right. When you, when you get that's into society. them, no different from I know, any other case. But exactly. people do not want to talk about this. Yet, even if you translate it into straight-up ordinary OHSW, well, that well-being principles, it's still orcs. Well, it's still awkward to talk about and, this stuff. And the awkwardness comes from something I've been talking to with friends and colleagues uh, in some consulting work now. What's the tribal culture? So yeah. there's this invisible, intangible, if you will. What's the tribal culture and what is the operating rhythm 
of an mm. organization. And this yeah. has come up in the example of sport, in yeah. big business movies, or in brothels. Mm. What's that culture? You've talked about this, that, yeah. that drinking was permissible or aggression is permissible in sport, drinking is permiss permissible in the brothel. What's that tribal culture and what's the operating rhythm of how things kind of expect to go? And this, this invisibility, if you will, but very, very important stuff that influences practice. Doesn't fit neatly in, you know, doesn't fit neatly. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Why Work. You've been listening to Trage, Sarah and Alan. And if you'd like to know more about some of the things we've talked about today, please subscribe and we'd be more than happy to provide you with information, names of cases and other things that may interest you. Please be aware that none of the matters we've talked about today should be construed as legal advice or any type of advice. We're just here to talk about all the things related to work. See you next time.